I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Well, Jonathan, how are you doing today? Well, Seth, I'm doing all right. I'm really glad to see you. I am sad, though. This episode, as we promised in our last episode, was supposed to be our first one in person. Unfortunately, that's not the case. We're still in our same virtual setup, but soon we're going to get that first in-person episode taken care of. I know, I'm sad about it, but I'm glad that Zoom exists and I get to see you this way. Me too. Well, I have a very important question for you. Okay, let's do it. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to have a pack of 10 cheap pens or one very expensive handcrafted pen? Seth, I love a good pen. And with that, I don't love bad pens. And so even though I'd run the risk of running out of ink faster, I'd pick a good pen. In fact, I'm sitting next to, on my desk, a box of my favorite pens. The Pilot Precise Premium Rolling Ball V5 0.5 millimeter ultra-fine ballpoint pen. It's a great pen. It's got a good click. Oh, it does. It does. Writes very smoothly. I may or may not have ordered a bunch for our office at work, so they could be our (laughs) office pen, because I like them that much. (laughs) I respect that, but for me, I'm going with the cheap pens only because I can't hold on to a pen long enough for me to risk getting the expensive pen. <laughs> like, I would get it, and I would enjoy writing with it one time until I left it somewhere, and yeah. then I would just be disappointed. The other type of pen that I like uh, is actually a commemoration of my dad. He was a vice president of enrollment management at a small liberal arts college for a long time and would hand sign every admissions acceptance letter with a purple felt tip pen. Like those those ones that, again, just have the cap that comes off. It's got a little like plastic cap with the felt tip that comes out. And purple yeah, was one of the yeah. college colors. I can picture it. Yeah. So he would sign every letter with that. So for signatures, if I need to sign stuff, I actually have a supply of those pens. And I don't think he knew that, but he usually listens to the episodes. So maybe I'll get a text from him about felt tip pen mem- memories. I would remember him coming home with just like a stack that was like three reams of paper high. Just like mindlessly <laughs> putting his signature on them while we were watching a baseball game or something like that. So and, and you were like sliding in your permission slip for the field trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't really the kind of kid I was. I took away from I that. I think so. 
I took away from that experience, oh, that's a cool pen to use to sign stuff. Not, I bet I could get him to sign stuff for me. <laughs> well, now when I write with felt tip pens, I'm also going to think about your dad. Cool. So I'm glad you shared that. Will you also share our passage for this week? I'd be glad to. This is Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45 from the New King James Version. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, being Jesus, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Hmm. Got some classic (laughs) disciple behavior of vying and jockeying for position and getting mad at each other about it. But before we get into it, tell me about your choice of the New King James Version for this week. I went with the New King James this week because, at least off the top of my head, I couldn't remember a time when we had used it I don't think and so. i wanted to continue our tradition of using a new translation our tradition that's like two weeks old but i wanted to continue <laughs> to do that okay i thought i thought that this was a good time while we were on a roll let's just do one more we hadn't used we're gonna run out at some point but maybe not yes that soon. now there there are so many of them it's at some point, I think we can just stop, but we haven't gotten to that point yet yeah. as, as translators. One thing that I do appreciate about the New King James is while it updates some of the language from the original King James, it, it really tries to keep a, like some of the classic lines and the beauty that we associate with them. So I appreciate that. One thing that I'm not as appreciative of is that... Our listeners sometimes will hear us talk about dynamic versus formal equivalence, which is like whether you whether you translate in a way that conveys the meaning or a way that conveys kind of more literally what the text says. And when the translation committee convened to start translating the new King James, they devised what they called the complete equivalence translation philosophy oh my god which is interesting because because i just don't really know 
if that's possible. It is a good aspiration. It's a good goal, but maybe not possible. So is that them trying to strike kind of a middle way between dynamic and literal equivalence? Or what does that mean? <laughs> Sorry, I'm think, mad about this. No, that's okay. <laughs> I think you're exactly right. I think their idea is that when they're calling it complete, it's going to be like the perfect middle ground between dynamic and formal. Okay. So in doing that, they're going to kind of keep some parts that are literal, but then they're also going to keep this the beauty and the meaning of it. And they're somehow going to do all of that at once. Honestly, what it, what I hear in that is we want to like respect the words of the original text and we want to respect the King James Version. And almost rather than letting this text speak for itself, it's like those texts are in conversation together and we're, we're bringing forward a new translation from that. Which, I mean, that's literally their task in making the new King James Version. But, uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think what you're reading slash hearing that correctly. Okay. When you were reading the passage, is there anything that jumped out at you? Well, honestly, the tr- questions of translation came up to me when I was talking about baptism because i said the word baptized or baptism so many times the the baptism i am baptized with you will also be baptized i was like wow (laughs) (laughs) they did not they did not try to clean that up at all so some of those language choices stood out to me but i also just appreciated this insight into how the disciples saw what it meant to follow jesus And how Jesus' teaching of them was not like kind of building a foundation. Like they started at nothing. They had to add a layer, add a layer. But there was actually some breaking down and taking away. Where Jesus said, you think it means this to follow me. You think this is what I do and who I am. But actually, this is. And I love the verse that closes out this passage. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many to see that title usually reserved for the emperor for Caesar and it be turned on its head to say that the king, this holy righteous one isn't expecting you to bow down to him, but he is kneeling before you to offer himself fully. That's a really profound image. But I, I also like hearing that in the context of kind of this this petty jockeying for position and power that's going on here. And the disciples just getting real mad at James and John for... Yeah. <laughs> you asked him what? <laughs> Presumably because they wanted those seats at yeah, his left and right exactly. hand. Not because... That was how I read it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a key question. I don't know if we can answer it, but it's interesting to think, are they mad because they think this question is ridiculous? Or are they mad because they wanted those those top two spots too? Yeah. Just circling back just a little bit, I really like your point about the way that following Jesus for the disciples involves maybe some deconstruction about what they think of him. Mm-hmm. Just like you said, it's not just these like perfect building blocks but actually they have kind of something in their head that Jesus needs to pick apart. Yeah, that experience feels particularly relatable. 
Wait, can you say more about that? Yeah, well, I, it may not have been exclusively so, but presumably these, you know, laborers from first century Palestine <laughs> had some form of Jewish upbringing and were familiar with the teachings and traditions of their religion and had an understanding of what a Messiah would mean for them and understood that in the context of political power. I mean, even thinking back to just a couple centuries earlier in their like recent history at the time and thinking about the Maccabean revolt and how there are political figures that rise to power to deliver the Jewish people, like literally deliver them in the midst of empire or the midst of oppression and maybe seeing Jesus do something similar. And I, I, and I don't necessarily think, I think those same things about Jesus, but I also have a whole background of things that were given to me about my own faith. And over time, as I think happens with most people, the decision to follow Jesus, to take seriously Jesus's way, sheds light on things, even things that I was taught in Jesus's name that might actually not align with who Jesus is and what the reign and realm of God is going to look like in the world as it already has and continues to take shape. So it just feels like that level of needing some breaking down to be able to more honestly follow Jesus. Yeah, that feels that feels relatable to me. Again, assuming that they were arguing about who got to ask the petty question first <laughs> <laughs> i think that you shared this experience but correct me if i'm wrong especially when i was in college i went through like a a period of real deconstruction like when i i like questioned kind of much of what i had been taught especially in sunday school mm-hmm. like not only about the bible in general but about like particular stories like oh that's not really how that happens like I have, I have to re, reread that and rethink it, and reformulate kind of what that story means for me and for its original audience. But I also think that that those questions were just so healthy for me to mm-hmm. ask and to be in a place where I could wrestle with them like freely and openly and with other people like you. But some of our other friends, too. Yeah, it strikes me as being also relatable. I'll also say that I still deconstruct and rethink and move pieces around. I don't want our listeners to think I I have it all figured out. That is absolutely not true. I haven't, for a long time, like reshuffled everything. I haven't taken my deck of cards and just like thrown it in the air. And had to pick up all the pieces kind of again. And in a weird way, I'll I'll only speak for myself here. In a weird way, I almost missed that. That there's something about, about asking these tough questions and about rethinking who Jesus is for us and for others. That is hard, but it's also enjoyable. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why you and I are here too, Seth, is that we've found 
we found a new way to encounter the Bible that doesn't depend on the ways that we believed about the Bible that are so harmful or challenging to us, but still introduces us to the divine in such a rich, life-giving way. Because I, I, I share a lot of that experience, too. I was just looking this up because I wanted to remember uh, encountering in <laughs> one of Eric Seibert's Intro to Bible Classes an essay from the late 1980s by Robert Allen Warrior called Canaanites, Cowboys, and Indians, where Warrior talks about reading the Joshua narrative in particular in light of the Native American experience in North America on Turtle Island and thinking about how when I was growing up, I always I always read myself in with God's people. And so when Israel was standing against the Canaanites, when David was up against Goliath, I was always team Israel, team Israelites, team David, team Joshua, and recognizing how other experiences, especially experiences of oppressed or minoritized people groups, how their reading of the scripture drew them to connect with other people in the text. It really shook me, but it also began to open up some other avenues of reading too. And that's why I, today, even one of my favorite types of scholarship to read is black liberation theology and biblical studies and especially womanist theological studies too which is you know this this intersectional understanding that highlights oppressed people groups and its scholarship done primarily among women of color and those lenses that they see the text through are so different from my own because of where i come from and who i am and how i've been brought up to see the world and like a diamond that reflects the light differently from a different angle the text speaks a different way depending on where we're coming from and how we're looking at it but seeing that complexity really again rocked me to my core but that level of deconstruction has pulled away a lot of the stuff that gets me away from who have come to understand who jesus was and what he's called us to much again much like in this passage where you have a group of disciples who are fighting about who's going to have power when jesus ascends to the throne <laughs> and jesus is essentially like shut up and listen to me that's not what this is about and i can just so so deeply connect with asking those kinds of questions that at the end of the day feel so off base or what the reign and realm of God in the world is actually all about. I love this little nuance in our text. When Jesus tells the disciples, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And I just keep hearing that one little word considered mm -hmm. because this is such a profound rethinking of what it means to be great, to be rulers, to be leaders, to be first, that Jesus doesn't even want to ascribe kind of real authority to them. He's just like, we. these people are considered to be leaders, but we know the truth, that being a leader doesn't look like that. It looks like service, 
care for the least. People who have been marginalized. Like, what a deconstruction. Like, what a complete unraveling of, like, the entire social system of the ancient Greco-Roman world and now. It's like, like, he just throws it all away. Like, of course, this is, like, the ultimate... I don't know, the ultimate reversal. It's just wild to me. Yeah. It feels like we're on the edge of a what's the point kind of conversation. Yeah, we ab- I think we absolutely are. Well, I've been thinking about this text as in not just kind of what does it mean to be a servant, but also how do we break down these theologies that we've held on to that may actually kind of get in the way of us following Jesus. And I think we've been dancing on like some of the ways that we do that. Like we encounter new perspectives, such as liberation theologies and womenist scholars. But I'm wondering if we can talk about kind of other resources that have been helpful to us. I know we've, we've talked about this just a little bit about kind of our own stories of doing some deconstruction, but maybe we should talk about those just a little bit more. This pattern that we see of having Jesus always challenging us and always being challenged by Jesus is lifelong. And that even the disciples who have been following him in person are still going through that same process. So I heard you talk a little bit about reading womenist scholars. Is there is there like a book or an article or something that, that like really that sh- shook you? There's a lot of resources that come to mind. I mean, one of the first that I encountered was just kind of this introduction to womanist biblical studies called When Mama Speaks. And it, and mm-hmm. it looks at, at a lot of stories in scripture through the lens of motherhood. I also finally just got a copy of Will Gaffney's Womanist Midrash, which takes on the Jewish tradition of reflecting and deeply diving into kind of the open and unanswered questions that arise because of what's in scripture. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, so one of the things that was most profound for me was an experience I had in seminary in a class that I took called Beyonce and the Hebrew Bible, taught by Reverend Yolanda Norton. She might be Reverend Doctor by now. And she is a professor of Black Studies at San Francisco Theological Seminary, but she's a fellow Wesley Seminary alum and came back and taught this class. And it's just like, that is not that is not my story and that's not my lens. But I think what's so profound about being open to other experiences is being willing to see something differently on purpose may help you ingrain some ways to see things and especially see people who are on the margins more intentionally without thinking about it in the future too. (laughs) I'm also thinking of one of our other professors, Dr. Sharon Putt, who in our introductory theology class during our undergrad taught us about what she calls the hermeneutic of humility, where she encouraged (laughs) us to hold our beliefs not so loosely that they fell out of our hands, but also not so tightly that we dug our fingernails into our into our hands to cause ourselves to bleed. And I think in addition to like encountering some of those resources and some of those experiences that help me see differently, 
the thing that was most important was a different attitude of saying, mm. I'm not going into this interaction trying to prove myself right. I'm going into this interaction to learn and to listen and to love. And letting my theology or my beliefs come after that practice of what Jesus taught us to do rather than making those beliefs a barrier to actually practicing those things Jesus taught us to do. Maybe one way to think of that, to paraphrase our text, is that we don't want to lord our beliefs and our doctrines over people, but rather we treat them or we go into the encounter like expecting to be a servant, to work with them, to help them, but also in the process to allow ourselves to be helped too. Yeah, I really like that that hermeneutic of humility. I'm glad you brought that up because I vaguely remember Dr. Butt telling us that. But it hits me it hits me differently now, I think, like having had more theological training that can beat the humility out of you. It's helpful for that to kind of be re-energized. But I think, Seth, that what you're saying is a constant reminder for all of us too, because I think a big reason that we hold on to beliefs so tightly is because deep down we feel really insecure in them. And the more they are shaken, the tighter we hold on for fear of losing our grip entirely. I'm not saying we should let go of everything and anything goes, but I do think we need to have the wisdom to when we are recognizing, as maybe the disciples did, we're not sure, that we are asking the wrong questions, that we're concerned about the wrong things, that we're prioritizing the wrong seats, and Jesus calls <laughs> us to something different, are we willing then to let that stuff go? And I think no matter where you fall on a theological or political or any ideological spectrum, the call of Jesus is one to come and rest. And we, we put so much work into saying, Jesus, how can I come and sit at your right hand? How can I come have power and authority? How can I come show everyone how right I am? Just need to figure out how to let that go. That seems like a good word to end on. Will you pray with me? I'd love that. Accompanying one. Despite our questions, missteps, mistakes, and power grabs, you love us and call us to humble service. Help us hold our beliefs lightly, knowing that you hold us completely. Help us not to let go of you knowing that you never let go of us. We pray this through Jesus Christ, who did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Jonathan, what story will we tell next week? Seth. I don't think I can get away from this passage. So we're going to pick up right where we left off in Mark chapter 10, 46 through 52. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it.
And don't forget about our merchandise. Merch. Too. Merch. Merch. I want to break free. Sorry, just trying to get some stuff for the end of the episode, you know? Just make sure it's there in case we don't have anything okay. else that's funny. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to sing it back. Yeah. <laughs>